When you were growing up, did you have a set idea of your dream job? For many of us, we wanted to be veterinarians or maybe lawyers or marine biologists was really popular when I was a kid. But of course, you realize as you grow up that maybe you're not really interested in the actual job. You're more interested in the idea of the job. Or maybe as you grow, you realize you have talents and interests and skills that are better applied somewhere else. And frankly, real life ends up getting in the way anyway. And so there go many of our best laid plans. On this edition of Agronomy Geeks, I have with me Ashley Napton. If anyone knows Ashley, they probably think of dairy and dairy cattle when they think of Ashley. But she has moved solidly into the agronomy space. But yes, of course, the cows aren't far behind. I'm Lindsay Smith, and you're listening to the Agronomy Geeks podcast on realagriculture.com. Lindsay Smith, the host of Agronomy Geeks, and joining me now is none other than Ashley Napton, also known as Captain Napton. How are you, Ashley? I'm great, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing so well. Um, my first question, right off the hop, before I even explain to people who you are, where did Captain Napton come from? Who, who coined the phrase Captain Napton? Oh, man, like 19-year-old Ashley came up with that. I think that would be a hockey nickname mm-hmm. that has just stuck with me ever since there's a lot of Ashley's in my cohort of individuals and so you have to come up with other names so Napton was the other name that people frequently called me and then Captain just seems to build really nicely off of that it really does where that came from yeah 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 kind of stuck I I like it I I like it too and I personally like it that it's with a K to go with the Napton yeah that's that's the Napton stylization of it yeah I I like it I mean it's got some yeah it's it's memorable Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, so personal there you go. Now, is a thing, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's personal branding. So, and, <laughs> and I guess as we roll into this, I should explain who you are, or maybe you want to, but um, when I think of Captain Napton and Ashley Napton, I think the first time I saw your name was actually um, with the Canada Young Speakers Forum, I think, hmm. right, yeah. years ago. Um, but I always had, like, to me, Ashley Napton is a dairy farmer. She's, she's loving the cows. She's going to show the cows in 4-H, too, working the whites, teaching the kids. But then <laughs> here she is working in agronomy. So catch, yeah, me, catch me up. Yeah, catch me up on how that came about. Because, of course, dairy, dairy is your passion. Dairy is, is where you're yeah. at. So how did this all come about? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I certainly, sometimes I ask myself that, but it's certainly something that a lot of people ask me. And so uh, I grew up on a dairy farm here in eastern Ontario, not too, too far away from you actually right now. Um, and that's that's certainly where my passion for, for dairy began right off the hop. But uh, mom, dad, and I still have the dairy farm here. We love, you know, high quality cattle. Making milk is, is something I really enjoy. So that's that's what kind of drove me to agriculture was the dairy side of the business. And then like a lot of folks, you know, when you're in university looking at getting a summer job, um, obviously what happens in the summer crops. And so um, I was really lucky. One of my favorite agronomists, Paul Sullivan took me on as a summer student here 
Um, and I, I kind of went to him and I said, ah, I don't really don't know a lot about crops, but I'd like to learn. And he hired me. And that, that was really the beginning of my agronomy experience. I spent three summers with him and he built an incredible foundation for my agronomy knowledge. Um, so I went to Guelph, got my degree in agriculture, had a great time there. And then right after university, I jumped back into the dairy world and I, I took on dairy nutrition. So I was a ruminant farm consultant with a feed company here in Eastern Ontario, um, which is, it sales is a tough gig. I think a lot of us know, but that was a really great entry level position. I learned a lot about myself and a lot about working with farmers. So that was awesome. And then my career path from there gets really like long and windy. The running joke for a long time was that I collected jobs, like some people correct um, trading cards, but I got to where I am now by, by realizing that I can combine my love of crops and my love of cattle together uh, to make really good crops to feed our cattle. So that's what I do on a day-to-day basis is I, I spend a lot of time thinking about forages and how can we make more of them and make them better. And I, I love it. It's, it's such a neat combination of the two worlds. I never expected them to collide and I'm so glad they did. So I I was writing down some notes before we before we sat down to chat and um I I literally wrote down now an agronomist for cows which is sort of funny because of course right you're not actually advising on the cow side but you are an agronomist for cows because forage and specifically of course high quality forage for those dairy cows is really what you now advise on in a day. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, so my role right now is is really bridging the gap between, um, you know, I don't want to say traditional agronomy, but the agronomy that you and a lot of other folks probably think of when we think agronomy and CCAs, kind of bridging that gap over to the nutrition world. And the nutritionists are, they're really important consultants on farm. Farmers rely on them really heavily. Um, and then, you know, they, their specialty is kind of from, you know, the, the storage bunk right to the cow, whereas the agronomists or seed reps that I work with, their, their experience in a lot of cases is up before the bunk. And so I get to bridge that gap between, you know, what happens from the moment we put it in the ground to the moment it hits the cow. I take all of that and combine it into one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lots of different factors affect it. Some of it is very logical, you know, good fertility is going to make good corn, period. That's, that's important. But some of it's a little bit trickier on how can we manage manage these crops to get not just the highest yield, but that quality aspect is really, really important. Well, and I'll let you in on a little secret. Um, most people know I'm not from around these parts. And I, <laughs> I, I don't know that I'd ever seen so many one-hit wonder hay fields in my whole life till I came to the yeah. Ottawa Valley. And and so for those listing that aren't, aren't, you know, sort of up to date, there are a lot of small hay fields around where we live in the Ottawa Valley um, that, you know, they're pretty low maintenance as in farmers are happy to get one cut and uh, not do anything else. And yeah. how much of a, how much of a struggle? Now, obviously I'm guessing you, you work with some pretty high caliber growers, of course, but you know, how, how hard is it to get a farmer who, who maybe has some of those one hit wonders to really start to focus on, on the quality and not just, tonnage and the one hit wonder yeah that is such an awesome question and it kind of we were talking about this just the other day is you know one of the biggest things for me in this role has not just been kind of driving my beliefs on on people because I have very strong beliefs particularly when it comes to forages I have you know super strong opinions on how things should be managed and and what the best is Uh, and realistically what what I've had to do in this role is kind of meet people where they're at and so you know the biggest thing for me is recognizing, okay, what are your goals? Uh, if you want your alfalfa to live forever, 
cutting it only once a year is, is a good first step, right? And so, but if you're looking to make more milk or you're looking to lower your feed costs, you're looking to, you know, hit certain quality or yield metrics, all right, let's talk about what kind of management considerations we should be putting into that. So I work with a wide range of producers and it's funny because, you know, sometimes I'll drive down the lane and recommend one thing and I'll go to the next farm and they want literally the exact opposite. So it kind of has to be kind of have to, it's just like a lot of agronomists. I'm sure you have to be flexible to think about, you know, what, what multiple avenues can we take to get to a similar goal, which is making, you know, making a lot of milk in, in an efficient way. Right. And of course, as you said, you've of course got, you know, in, on your mind, here's how you want to do it, but you've got to keep their goals in mind, which maybe aren't the same as yours. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's, you know, why would we not try and shorten our alfalfa rotation to get uh, higher yielding, more cuts, better quality, but then also get that nitrogen credit to roll it back into corn silage and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's that's so logical to me, whereas, you know, some people don't want to do that. They don't want to have to keep dealing with seed uh, or, sorry, reseeding alfalfa every year. They don't necessarily want that high quality feed. They Maybe they don't need it for their production system. So it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of really targeting what their needs are, understanding what their needs are and seeing what I can provide them to make sure they get there. I learn as much from producers as I, I teach them every day. And that's, that's what keeps this job interesting for sure is I get to gather all of this knowledge and then reshare it with the right people in the right place. Mm-hmm. Now, I did read uh, recently in a newsletter in uh, Captain Napton's Corner about nurse crops <laughs> with alfalfa. And so I know this this whole discussion is about you, but it's one of these ones that like I think we all have that that agronomy tip that it's like please wrap your head around this. So should I be putting a nurse crop with my alfalfa I'm trying to establish? Yeah, that's one of the strong opinions that I hold. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, I, I think you know if we can give our alfalfa the absolute best chance we can in the first establishing year, it's going to set it up for success for the next two or three years that we want to keep it in that field, right? And so um, a companion crop, a nurse crop, those O's and P's or, or whatever that you're going to mix with it, it, it can act as competition sometimes. And I think we're going to see that in some of the fields that were planted last year with that nurse crop. We were tight on feed, no question. If you're tight on feeds, I can understand the desire to put a nurse crop in to try and get that yield boost. But you have to think about the longer end game, too. Is that going to get you more yield per that acre over the three-year lifespan of that field? I'd be worried that it wouldn't. And that's something that a fellow producer had taught me one time is um, she looks at the opportunity cost of a field. She doesn't look at just, you know, cost per acre or yield per acre. If that field, you know, if we, she can be productive enough on all of her other acres to meet her needs, what else can she turn that field into? Right now you could turn it into some pretty expensive corn or beans. So mm. making those acres be as productive as possible, that's something I really would like to push, um, really encourage my producers to aim towards. Mm-hmm. We could have a whole other conversation on trying to keep forages in rotation against corn and beans right now. Uh, but mm. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about craft beer. So one, oh. of, one of the <laughs> other things when I think Ashley Napton, I also think of, uh, your Instagram feed, I think of delightful craft beer cans. And and yeah. I, I really do feel like you should have like a napton scale of and, and judge the cans Ooh. because I too am fascinated by the artwork and the naming and the mm-hmm. of all these things. And, and for those outside of Ontario, Ontario has a thriving craft beer industry. 
And so do you have oh, a yeah. favorite, do you have like a favorite brewery that just knocks it out of the park on the design? Not necessarily the taste, because that's a whole other mm. ballgame, but on design and on labels. Or do you have a favorite name? Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, I have a favorite in like 12 different categories. Right. So I think the backstory on this is that uh, I have always been a beer appreciator. And when I was a craft guard, actually, I discovered Bose Brewery. And Bose, for people who aren't from the Ottawa region, has a tractor on their label. So, of course, that was the easiest way to get me into craft beer was a tractor on a beer can signed me up. Uh, and then, you know, flash fast forward to my current uh, role I was working all throughout Ontario. I traveled all of the back roads. And so I kind of set up a challenge to see how many breweries in Ontario I could visit. Uh, and I only hit about a third of them, which there are about 300. So that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually moved. I ended up working in Quebec for a year. And one of the things that surprised me about working in Quebec was that there were a lot less breweries for me to visit. So I shifted gears. I worked on fromageries. It was incredible. But yeah, my favorite brewery, I think that wins the cake, is Dominion City Brewery here in Ottawa. Um, they have just a little bit of a government theme to it, like just a little bit of politics that I, I get such a kick out of. They've got some incredible beers. My favorite beer of the summer already, I'm pegging, is from them. Um, they have got some great T-shirts. They're, you know, bullfrog endorsed because they're carbon neutral. There's so many fun little things like that. But I think one of the things for craft beer is there's something literally for everyone. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're unsure about the beer world, uh, just you know connect with me and I'll show you the way and we can we can find you some craft beer that you like. I just envisioned like like craft beer beer tours with Ashley Napton, like just like oh my okay, god, right? Like online or yeah. whatever. Like here, I'll show you around. It, you're like bringing people in. Beer sampling. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. It's it a great is. idea. We should make it. And then like intersperse it, it, it with is. like agronomy updates. You know, like hundred percent. Yeah. We can talk one about of, alfalfa in between. Favorite. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That would be the dream. Okay, one gonna... of my favorite beer moments was I was sitting at a beer tasting at a brewery one time and they were talking about different kind of hops and that these hops didn't even have names. They just had experimental numbers uh, because they were working on breeding them. And I sitting there and I was like, that sounds like what we're doing in agriculture, but it's okay because it's hops. And so I just think that we could learn a lot about the way that um, beer is communicated uh, food is communicated in general, and we could, you know, steal some of their ideas for the way that we market our industry. Mm. Also, hops look really cool. Uh, I'm going to grow some this summer, I think. Okay. Don't don't quote me on that. Don't, <laughs> no one well, I was going to say, if you, yeah, if you need, now, I know they're a huge nitrogen user, so... Um, oh, keep that okay. in mind. Uh, but Lara, my coworker here at Real Agriculture, she worked uh, with hops for a couple of years. So I'll connect you to her and she can, she will probably say some swear words because apparently they're difficult to grow and are very uh, high maintenance and need a lot of nutrients, but they look so cool. Um, so, but that well, actually, like yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, it, it segues nicely because you mentioned sort of the communicating part. So now you do mm. show cows, you've been involved in 4-H, you've been involved in, in, you know, teaching uh, youth about about cows and showing cows and those sorts of things. How how much is that part of a fabric of who you are? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I think it it ends up being maybe a lot more than I, um, you know, I have ever laid it out to be or intended it to be. I really enjoy connecting people. I really like meeting new people and learning from new people. So um, that and my um, you know my ability to do public speaking, I give a lot of credit to the 4-H program. Uh, for that I feel very confident speaking to groups I kind of just seem to get handed opportunities more and more 
Uh, and I think the other thing too is, you know, when you move back home to your area, or even if you move to a new area, you're suddenly voluntold to do a lot of things, right? So I kind of get tossed into these situations very often, but they're always really rewarding. I never mind, never mind doing them. So it has become a big part of who I am. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And, you know, I just, I love, I love cows and I love agriculture and I want so much for this industry that, um, you know, I'm willing to do what I can to make it a better place. And, you know, that means talking to different kinds of people and inviting different kinds of people to the table and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's, that's something I'm happy to do for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, tell me about your Brown Swiss. Calf. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my favorite story. So um, anyone who knows Holstein breeders knows that a lot of them can be pretty diehard into the breed and mom and dad have a really incredible herd of Holsteins. I'm really proud of the work that they've done. We haven't been farmers forever. We started when I was in high school, um, which is longer ago than I care to admit, but really not that long ago. And so um, they've built in a really good herd and they've worked really hard and the running joke for many years is that I really wanted a brown Swiss and I was always told I wouldn't be a lot of brown Swiss until I was around to feed it morning and night because they can be notoriously challenging to work with and then uh, on Twitter in November I joked about how you know, due to the Panzerati that we're have happening right now that I we, we wouldn't have a normal Christmas and so I wanted to liven things up I put a brown Swiss heifer on my Christmas list and then Lo and behold, my parents are the coolest people in the world. They brought home a brown Swiss for me. And I am so thankful because I did not expect to be so excited about this calf. But I am obsessed with her. She is adorable and she's been real fun. And I think mom and dad have really grown to like her too. So that's, that's kind of a fun story. And what is her name? Oh, of course, her name is Jingle. Um, she is a Rasta out of a Biver. She is, since she's a Christmas present, that's how she got the J name. Right. Um, she's got like 10 generations of very good or excellent behind her. And if you're not a cow person, that doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah, but yeah. um, she, think of it as like just the, the best of the best in, in hybrid genetics. That's what this calf is. So I'm excited to get to work with her. Yeah. That's pretty. And are you going to show her? So cute. Well, she is cute. She does. Yeah, show absolutely. Yeah. So okay. my 4-H'er has talked about showing her. I'm not sure if that'll happen or not, but I definitely will show her a little bit this summer. Um, should we be allowed? And then, yes. uh, yeah, I mean, she's great for the Instagram account. I just, yeah. I love taking pictures of her. So she has grown like a weed. You're doing a good job. I feel like maybe she's a bit spoiled though. Oh, just a bit. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Oh, she, uh, the, the, there was one night we figured out that she was getting double servings of grain because both dad and I are feeding right. her. We didn't know that the other was feeding her grain, mm-hmm. but uh, she wasn't going to tell us. She wasn't going to. No. So yeah, she's she's well fed. She's yeah. not failing. She's No, she's doing fine. She's rounded right out. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she is adorable. And so I do hope, I, I absolutely hope uh, that we, we will have shows this year for sure. Um, my daughter is, is this will be her third year, I guess, in, in 4-H and not having the show is really tough. It's, uh, yeah. it's what they look forward to so very much. So uh, definitely. Now I want to, I want to tackle one more thing and maybe it's like way out there, but, but you, you did mention hockey. One of the things yeah. that I also think of when I think of Ash, Ashley Napton is you're a huge proponent for women in sport and for women's sports to actually, actually get the respect that it deserves. So where, where did that come from? And and Lindsay, yeah. I'm wearing a shirt right now that says "Put Women's Sport on TV." There so you you've, go. You've, Woo! you've hit my spot. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think we we're seeing a lot of talk right now in the industry of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think 
anyone who's ever been on a margin can appreciate why that's important. And so for me, um, you know, there was one point where I, I kind of wanted to be a pro hockey player. And I'm really lucky in that when I just started to take on hockey, I had a, a women's Olympic team to look up to. Um, but there were lots of people who didn't. And I still had to change outside of, you know, I changed in closets and stuff when I played hockey as a kid. There wasn't a women's hockey team until, man, I think I was playing three or four years. And so to me, women's sports is incredible. Women are incredible athletes. The sport is different, but it's just as entertaining. It's just like so many other things, right? Once you see it and you can appreciate it, you want everyone else to. And that's how I feel about women's sport. That's how I feel about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion in general. Once you meet some of these people who have a different way of life of your own, you just want to make sure that everyone else has a chance to meet them too. And I believe I, I love this industry so much that I want to give it the best chance to succeed. And, and part of doing that is making sure that not just that people have a seat at the table, but they have a chance to have their voice heard and appreciated. So women's sports is just one aspect of it. It's one that I feel very confident speaking on because I am a woman who plays sport. You know, in some of the conversations around race, it's it's more I, I want to make sure I amplify the voices that have the, you know, the experiences that we need to hear from. Mm-hmm. And so, and I will say, and I hope this means that we are sort of getting somewhere. Um, but I, I will definitely say, in these past few months, seeing more women's basketball, seeing women's yeah. soccer getting highlighted, and and I mean. I will, I like it. It really is one of those things that pr- there's probably a lot of people who maybe didn't really even think about the fact that they didn't see it until you start to realize yeah. that, like, there are all sorts of these amazing women athletes playing and they just, it's all happening. You just never see it. It's just not on your TV. It's not talked about. It's not covered in the news. And I think maybe that is, might be changing mm-hmm. just a little bit. And I'm too. I think that. There's been some really good activism around, you know, looking at the NCAA, um, the basketball tournament there with the women not getting the same resources as the men mm-hmm. and putting on just as good of a show. And we see that too at the NHL All-Star Game um, two years ago, right? Kendall yeah. Coyne-Crawfield got up there and she skated just as fast as the men. And she has a full-time job outside of that too, right? A lot of these women do. So um, to me, it's, yeah, you got to break that barrier. Once people are like, wow, this is actually really good. Then we can start to get the advertising dollars roll in and then we can start to create some an equal opportunity you can't tell me that there's a limit on the number of sports that some people want to watch i would watch it 24 7 if i had the time right so uh, if we can provide just get this on tvs i think that'll you're right that'll make a a big step forward Mm -hmm. absolutely all right that's fantastic ashley this has been so much fun and we managed yeah. to, yeah, we managed to squeeze in a little bit of agronomy in there. So that's all right. But really, this is more about Absolutely. the person and more about how you got to where you're at. And uh, for any, for anyone, Ashley, who might be looking for you on Instagram or Twitter and wants to see Jingle and or farm shows, I mean, cow shows, where can they find you <laughs> online? Yeah, so all my handles are the same. They're Captain Napton. Um, it's K-A-P. T-I-N, and then Napton has a silent K at the corner of it. If you just search Napton, I think there's not too, too many of us. So uh, you go ahead over to my Twitter page. Jingle will be the one of the first things you see, and she's going to say hi to you. So. There you go. All right, Ashley, thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Lindsay.